Hello, everyone. This is the Holistic Truth Podcast with Christina and Tyler. We have a very special guest today. Our episode is called The Addiction Episode, and we have Sarah with us today. Everyone say hi to Sarah. Sarah, please tell us about yourself. Hey. Um, Well, first off, I'm very excited to be here. I currently am a yoga teacher trying to figure my life out. I have previously been a hot mess express and kind of fumbling through the healing journey on my own. And I've been very fortunate to meet people along the way that have helped me get to where I am now. And so, yeah, I'm just excited to talk about my experiences and maybe they'll help someone else along the way. Thank you so much for sharing all that. And we had you on today because uh, we had a conversation, Sarah, recently about addiction. And I thought that this would be really important for us to talk about. I don't have a lot of containers where we can talk about this really sensitive and vulnerable topic. And in this container on the Holistic Truth podcast, Tyler and I really want to represent truth. We want to represent vulnerability. We want to represent humility and authenticity. So this idea of addiction that is running rampant in our culture, I believe is a very important topic to talk about. And to begin, Tyler, um, why don't we start with you and we'll kind of round table it and just maybe a quick one or two minute response on what is addiction to you? Yeah, for sure. Addiction to me is attempting to seek happiness through temporary actions that never end and desired results. So it's always giving you the urge to repeat that action. So you're always trying to do it to in order to feel good again. Um, you know, addiction causes your body to build a tolerance to whatever it is that you're using, if it's a substance or a certain activity that you're partaking in, um, that causes you to, to build up tolerance and then you have to increase the amount of the substance that you're taking or intensify the activity to get that feeling of pleasure again. And so that's why it becomes physical and even psychological dependent. And ultimately that's why addiction is so hard to stop. Right. Right. What about you, Sarah? If I say, what is addiction? What comes up for you? Habits. (laughs) Uh, Well, habits have been a really big focal point for me and we can have good habits and we can have bad habits. And the more we do them, they become kind of this passive involuntary thing. And so addiction are those habits that we just can't seem to stop doing on autopilot that really don't have a positive effect on our life and even can have detrimental effects on our personal life, our relationships, our health, our well-being. Um, Yeah, addiction, bad habits. Great. Uh, for me, it's really interesting because I was, you know, my kid this morning asked me, what are you going to do a podcast about today? And I was like, uh, addiction. <laughs> and he said, you know, what do you do? What is it? And, you know, the thing that comes out for me as a mother is just, it's the replacement or the potential 
hopeful replacement of an uncomfortable feeling or emotion. Um, when we think about addiction, you know, I'll speak from experience. Addiction to me replaced the more bitter, darker, denser feelings that I didn't want to feel. It replaced them with joy or false joy, right? A, a feeling of something that I couldn't get from inside of me. And usually that was more of a pleasurable experience. And so I became addicted to a feeling through the bridge of a substance or even a device or even a food or even a feeling. Addiction is so broad that I even have a hard time explaining it because it can really encompass so many different levels. It's not just drugs. It's not just alcohol, right? It can be food. It can be a feeling. It can be a relationship. It can be Netflix. It can be so many things. And it's something outside of us that we're trying to fill a void within. So that's addiction to me. And so, Sarah, in your experience, how do we know that we even have addiction? How does it present? How does one, how do you know? Well, first off, I think that it really requires self-awareness, um, noticing that when you are waiting in line somewhere where there's an awkward pause at dinner, um, that you're immediately pulling your phone out to fill that void or when you have to take a hit of whatever before you can go be around people or go to your job or you just have to have a drink to go to bed at night. Um, so I think to know that you have an addiction, it, it first requires having self-awareness and really observing yourself from that third-party perspective. but. From that point, then noticing those compulsions, like, what do I do every morning when I wake up? I go get that same cup of coffee from the same coffee shop every day to get me through the first hump of my work day, um, or I have to text someone because I can't stand to be by myself. Um, so observing yourself. <laughs> um, and what do you just have to do to get by? What about you, Tyler? What do you think is a good indicator? How does somebody know they even have an addiction? Um, for me... I think when you go to making excuses of why you're having to do something or you feel like you have to hide it from other people, mm -hmm. that's the first indicator that you have a problem. Um, maybe not the first, but maybe the first that you actually are mindful of it, like Sarah was saying. Um, and a lot of people stay stuck in that denial. And they even have it because they're like, well, this person does it, that person does it. Like, especially if it's something that is considered to be more acceptable form of addiction, like food 
you know, cell phones, stuff like that, um, as opposed to like drugs and alcohol. So to me, that that's the first sign of it. And then feeling like you have to have it to be comfortable, to, to be able to go out and be around people. And then it becomes so severe in my experience, you know, mine was alcohol with mine that if I didn't get alcohol that night or was afraid I wasn't going to, I would pace the floor back and forth and back and forth and like really start freaking out. Like I felt like I was going to die if I didn't get what I needed to get. And I eventually realized like, wow, I have a big problem and wow, I really need some help. And so it wasn't until I reached out and got some help that I began to slowly emerge out of my problem and, and become stronger. So that's kind of my little tidbit on it. Thank you for sharing your stories. I felt that. That's beautiful. And that's hard. It's hard to admit that we need help. I think uh, I I had my addiction in my past was uh, I had a cigarette addiction. I just loved that heat and that fire in my lungs. <laughs> and, you know, I grew up so good. I grew up so good that I think that I really liked doing things that were not good. It, 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 I don't, I really have no words for it, but it, I find this connection, and I believe I said this earlier, between addiction and feelings. And so this addiction created a feeling within me. And I often think now as I've, you know, spiritually awakened a little bit more and gotten a little more mature that I wonder, was it the cigarettes or was it the feeling of rebelliousness, the feeling of disappointment and that kind of that level of like, my family doesn't agree with this decision. And I kind of like that, you know, because I was so good. And so it's a very interesting topic for exploration when you really kind of dig down into it is it the cigarettes or was it the feeling that i was addicted to and so you know that leads me into the next question do you see sarah any common underlying causes for people prone to addiction absolutely um in my own experience and just talking with other people um Definitely pain, and that can be emotional, mental, physical, um, yeah, and we're looking for something to soothe that. For me, personally, um, I was also a very good kid. I never got into any trouble. I always flew under the radar, and when I moved to Pensacola in 2013, um, a lot of stuff happened and um, I didn't realize how much I had suppressed from my childhood and everything just started bubbling up to the surface and I got introduced to friends who were like well here's this thing that'll make you feel good or it'll at least make you feel better 
And so I'm doing Molly because it made me happy. Um, literally, I smoked weed from the time I woke up in the morning till I went to bed. And I would wake up in the middle of the night to smoke some more just to numb me out and laugh a little bit. And I drank so much and all these things because I just could not face what I was feeling. I didn't want to look at it. And, you know, the more that I talked to other people, um, you know, they had traumatic childhoods. They had parents who, well, they did this thing. And, and if you keep looking down the line, like that generational trauma is so real. And then we pass on our coping skills to other people and access because if no one had ever introduced me to these band-aids I wouldn't have gone out seeking them and I had a friend um, who actually introduced me to this life who um, she her thing was methamphetamines and she moved across the country because then she didn't know anyone to go get it from and that is how she curbed her addiction for a while. I mean, it came back around in other ways. Something that came to me that I thought was really interesting from both of you is it sounded like Christina was running towards something and you were running away from it. Mm -hmm. Both which, you know, ended in an addiction. So, you know, it's something that's multifaceted and people need to realize that and you know, going back to what you said about being mindful of things, that to me is number one, being mindful of your actions to try to foresee the problem before it comes a big problem and figure out what you can do about it before it becomes so extreme, you know, in some of our cases that that um, it takes years and um, a lot of help from a lot of people. They appreciate both of you saying that and it just it, it hit me on the inside and I was like wow you know you both hit both aspects of it so thank you for sharing that good catch Tyler yeah I think it really is multifaceted and um, it's important that we really explore all the many different ways that bring people to their addictions because I don't think that there's a one-size-fits-all solution to moving past our addictions. Right, and I am going back to the self-awareness piece. Um, you know, through my experiences in my own past, I, I did something called disembodiment where I became a talking head. I stopped feeling in my body and I think the cigarettes and the fire and the smoke and the drinking and some other things that I might have done um, that were addictive for me was to reawaken my feeling body. So mm -hmm. you're right. I was chasing a feeling because I knew my body was numb on a subconscious level like in like in my more sleepy state but in my awaking conscious level i had no idea that i my body wasn't turned on and these practices were you could say a way that i was trying to bridge the gap to reconnect my body 
to my mind. And so the other flip side of that coin is when someone's had sexual trauma or their physical body has been abused in some way, it's safer to turn off the body. It's safer to let the ego or the mind take over. And then through these addictions is a way to reconnect and form a relationship with our body that is still controlled and safe to us. That's perceived safety. And I have a lot of compassion for that because I was in that boat, you know, and we're not here to say anyone's addiction is right or wrong or good or bad. You know, we, we, we don't live in a black and white world. I believe our world is very gray. And so we do what we can with what we have and we do our best. And I think a really big piece that I want to say here that comes up for me is I don't regret one day you know, of the choices that I've made because they got me here. I'm happy to be alive and I'm happy to be where I'm at and I'm happy to have the experiences I have. And so this leads me into the next question, which I can touch on really quick, um, which is what role does a person's overall health play when it comes to addiction resilience? And the thing that came up for me with this question was I had this addiction to eating as a way to feel again because if you study the chakra system the chakra system is kind of like the energetic centers in the body we have them all over our body but there's one in our stomach called the solar plexus and that's also where we're eating and the solar plexus is the seat of our power and our confidence and our will and our courage. And so when we feel weak or we've been abused or, you know, we've been controlled, what I've noticed is trying to regain control and that feeling through food. And so when someone's health is not in balance, Tyler, as a health coach as well, like, how do you feel about this? Do you feel health plays? a role in our propensity to have an addiction or not absolutely to me the number one benefit of being healthy is feeling good and if i feel good why do i need something else to feel good when i already feel good you know and something else that i know is going to have negative consequences like if i already feel good i'm not like oh i need to go get alcohol so because i don't you know i don't have that excuse of not feeling good anymore i already feel good i know what's gonna happen i would go and drink and then i'd feel like crap and i wouldn't be able to work out and i would probably make poor decisions i've been down that road a hundred thousand times it seems like so health i think is one of the primary things that could keep you from getting into addiction in the first place because you understand that almost any type of addiction is going to have the adverse effect on your health so when you realize that it kind of pushes you away from the addiction for me it's my working out and trying to push myself you know on on the stuff that i do with mobility and balance and everything i'm like if i was to drink or take any other drugs or anything like that, I wouldn't be able to do this. So um, focusing on that 
aspect of it really helps me to, to stay straight. So health is a major player. And if I wasn't healthy, I couldn't do anything else. And if I wasn't sober, I ultimately couldn't be healthy. And so without sobriety and health together, then I couldn't have the job that I do as a nurse now. And I wouldn't have a family and, and everything that's made my life so special. Um, I couldn't get that until I became sober and started to become healthy. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting is what, what keeps coming up for me that wants to be said is, you know, what about the people who don't know what healthy even looks like? You know, so that's this is what they know. You know, they potentially, you know, I think a lot of us grew up in. I look, I think all, all of us are a little dysfunctional. I mean, really. I, mean, I don't think any of us have figured out. So, you know, this is just whitewashing. But, you know, I was really fortunate. My dad loved Arnold Schwarzenegger and got into bodybuilding. But I remember most of my friends growing up in school ate, you know, manufactured food and candy and barely drink water, which is just like, because <gasps> I have kids now. I'm like, did you drink your water today? I'm like, I am so on it. And I really uh, had the privilege, I think, of growing up in a household where my family was on top of our health. So it's funny for me in my story that I actually was the little black sheep that strayed. And I went down the path of pain um, because I had pain, but I just went and I experienced a whole nother level. I think it, a lot of it was subconscious. So, you know, some people don't know what healthy even looks like. And so do you think that the addiction maintains that homeostasis within the body. Oh, I don't think it really maintains that, but um, it certainly gives you that dopamine hit. Um, and that that is gonna create a feeling of happiness. And that kind of goes back to becoming, you know, physically dependent on something because whenever you get that hit of dopamine and you're getting it from the same thing over and over, then basically you have to keep increasing it to get the same feeling right i think that's where i was going with that maybe that's what it is is the dopamine if we grow up as children and we say i want ice cream and we're always given ice cream we're just constantly feeding this thing right so i see the same with addiction correct me if i'm wrong i kind of see that same feeling like i want to keep maintaining this feeling and i'm gonna do whatever i need to do to continue that um, I went skating with one of my friends and I can't remember the term that she used but it's like um, each time you do something you lose that feeling so the first hit is always the best but you keep eating the ice cream thinking it's going to give you that same feeling and you're like maybe I eat more ice cream <laughs> and um, never is never going to be like it was the first time. And then so we started exploring other things that might give you that same feeling. Do you think it's kind of like, and you think about when we were foraging in nature, I've heard this explained, I believe, by our mentor, Paul Check. I think, 
Um, but you imagine when we were, you know, hunters and gatherers and we came across something sweet. How often do we find sweet things in nature? So when you actually find the berry bush, what did you probably do? You took all of those berries and you ate them very quickly. <laughs> and so there, I think, is this innate draw to sweetness, to pleasure, to dopamine. And how does one know that this thing that is so good maybe isn't so good? And like we talked about earlier, maybe it's when we hide it. But I think in my experience, I started weaving stories of why I needed it. Mm. so that the feeling initially of I'm hiding it from my family, even though everyone can smell cigarettes, right? Weaved into more of a dependency of need. So hiding and rebelling turned into need and it kind of kept weaving into these stories. I don't know if this makes any sense, but it like addiction has so many layers and it's so complex. It's so complex. Yeah. What do you think about the idea of losing your desire to feed addiction? Do you think that that's possible for someone to innately just kind of stop doing it? Or is this something we have to work at? What do you think, Sarah? Yes. And I think that's where the health comes in and building healthy habits because as you build your healthy habits the not so good ones inevitably inevitably fall to the wayside because uh for me i swear yoga saved my life i I did hot power yoga, nothing I would have ever tried before if I hadn't been invited to a free weekend to do it. And I was just naturally kind of good at it. And it felt so good to get out of my head and just move and sweat and detox all that sh shit. <laughs> and, um, and then I found out, well, it kind of sucks to vomit at 7 a.m. because I drank pineapple juice and champagne last night and then did hot yoga. Um, my brain was really foggy and I'd get headaches still trying to smoke weed and practice yoga. Um, and I mean, I guess I was just very fortunate that I liked how yoga made me feel more than the other things. And it was so healing for me on a mental, physical, and spiritual level that there just wasn't room for those things anymore. I see it. Addiction is a head game. When you start doing practices that get you back in your body and your body's feeling really good mm -hmm. and your engine's running clean. Yeah. It changes the trajectory. Absolutely. There's no need to do these things that make you feel good when, like Tyler said earlier, you already feel good. You know, you have that mental clarity. It's easier to move in your body. And there's not that separation between your mind, body, and spirit. They're all aligning. 
Um, and I heard or read something before about um, we we form our addictions because they help us cope with the separation between our ego and what our spirit knows to be true about us and our story and whatever. So our addictions just make us okay with our circumstances. And in that same token, they also save our lives. They keep us alive through hard times. Like, there's a good chance I wouldn't be here if I didn't go through my periods of addiction because they helped me maintain when I was suffering and didn't want to be here anymore. I was like, well, I can at least roll on Molly this weekend and be happy and smiling and dancing and hanging out with my friends um, rather than just like wasting away in my bedroom. <laughs> Yeah, you can, any addict can find probably a million different validations to their, their reasoning that they're doing what they're doing, you know, to give them that excuse to allow them to do it and make them feel better. But Sarah, what you did was started working with what was within you through yoga and that power within you got rid of the desire to access that stuff outside of you and put it in you. So, I mean, you just showed right there, and I believe this for everybody, you already have what it takes inside. You just have to go there. Yeah. And, you know, um, I think it was Yogananda that said this, but if you can't learn to work within, you will go without. Mm, yeah. Well, Meaning, you know, you you won't have the life that you could have and you won't ever be happy if you cannot internalize it and bring it from the inside out instead of, in our cases, you know, mine was alcohol. I had to take it from the outside in to feel good. And now we both discovered that there's different ways to do that and a lot healthier ways. And the more that you do that, the more you find the power that's inside you is so much bigger than anything else that you put in your body. Yeah. So it's a head game, Christina. Like you said, you rebel. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see addiction as a form of self-harm? What do you think, Tyler? Yeah, certainly. I mean, it can be... Um, someone can be unaware or aware that they're doing it, but it's definitely going to be causing self-harm, whether you like it or not. You might, you know, I've heard people say, like, well, if I drink, I come up with better music or something like that. You know, that's just another validation to do it. Um, or, you know, if I smoke weed, I write better stories, you know, something like that. Um, but ultimately what you're doing is, is feeding that addiction and you're causing harm to yourself because anything that you put into your body that it recognizes as a poison, which is what we're talking about, it automatically shuts down pretty much everything else it's doing. Your liver controls a lot of things. And so whenever you put something into your body that's not supposed to be in there, 
your liver goes into overload and it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to push everything else aside and I'm going to focus on getting this toxin out of my body before I focus on anything else. And so that's going to make you, you know, you, as soon as the drug wears off or whatever it is that, that you're doing, you know, the endorphins come down, you're not going to feel very good because you put your body in overdrive for so long. So yeah, definitely it, it causes self-harm and, you know, the sad thing about this is that some people feel like that that's what they deserve because they did something bad. Like, Oh, I, I deserve to do this to myself. Like I don't deserve to be happy it's from depression, which is the underlying cause to addiction. You know, we talk about self-medication and, and people don't get help soon enough. And then they start, you know, drinking a little bit or smoking a little bit or even shooting something up or, you know, it could be cocaine, a number of things because they felt so bad for a long, a long time. They haven't seeked out help. And so they took it upon their self to, to try to find this. And then they get into this and they feel like, oh, they, they deserve to be this way because they're a bad person or they feel guilty. And they continue down the same road because they start feeling bad about doing it. And the only thing that makes them feel good is to do it again. So you can kind of block what's going on in the inside. And all you do is feel that high and get that rush of endorphins and you feel good, you know. And then until it wears off until the next day and then here it goes again, you know, that roller coaster. And you go through all that guilt and you turn to seeking for something from the outside whenever, if you really looked on the inside, you could find that's where you would solve your problem. Yeah. And, you know, what comes up for me while you were talking was what I said earlier about homeostasis is sometimes when we're in the, in the depression, we do things to maintain the depression because that feels better than actually loving ourselves than actually being kind to ourselves i think and so in my case i found doing things to maintain that level of depression and not take care of myself was easier yeah um i realized more recently that the my addictive behaviors gave me a reason to be mean to myself. They gave because I knew what I was doing wasn't good for me. I knew that I was self-harming, but I was doing it anyways because I didn't have control over these things. Um so it just it kept that cycle going of me beating myself and being like, "Well, you suck. It's your own fault that you're not happy with your life because you won't stop doing these things and you feel bad because you keep eating garbage. Let's finish with what are some healthy habits that we could potentially incorporate instead of self-harm. Maybe we can flip the coin over and begin a practice of self-love. I told my kid this morning that I think a lot of addiction can be overcome through love. And so 
Tyler, do you have any healthy habits or practices to maybe let people know they don't need to do one thing? This is the spiritual buffet. We <laughs> we get to choose. You know, different things each day is going to be different. What are some things for you that have helped you overcome addiction on this journey? You got to love the worst part of yourself. And that takes time. And it may not be the best place to start. But I'll share a quick little story that hit me really hard that made me realize that I hated myself so much and I had to change that. Because I was brushing my teeth one morning, you know, back in the middle of my addiction. I looked up and I caught my eyes in the mirror. Like I was looking into my eyes. I looked down real quick and it hit me and I was like, oh my God, how long has it been since I've looked myself in the eyes? And I tried to do it and I couldn't because I, I hated myself that much that I could not, I couldn't look myself in the eyes. I would just hang my head. And, you know, I was like, this is it. I've, I've got to change. I've got to change for me, for my family, and, you know, for the world. Because this is not what I was put here to do. So, what's the first step? It's to find help. Like, you're, you know, that's... Some people look at that, especially men are like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm strong. I don't need no help. Like, that's a weakness. Actually, finding help and having the strength to find help is actually the strongest thing a person can ever do. So if anybody thinks they're weak because of it, it they're absolutely wrong. Because that's one of the strongest, you know, most courageous things that you can ever do is go seek help. You won't beat addiction alone. It's a, you know, it's a massive beast. It takes a lot of people. So that's what I would say. Number one, find help. I would just like to offer if, if we can't stand up for ourselves, who are we going to stand up for? Right. And so this idea of the masculine, which it doesn't matter what gender body we have, we all have the masculine in us. And so this idea of like, our, you can look at it even as our inner warrior. We all have this archetype within us, but how can we protect others if we're not protecting ourselves, right? Finding that courage within gives you strength and everyone sees you as strong, courageous, and a leader. I completely agree with what you just said. Thank you. Oh, this is my favorite part. <laughs> Integrating healthy habits. So, yes, it's definitely helpful to have outside support. But when you have that awareness of where you are right now and you, you can notice when you're in autopilot and you're just like reaching for the bong, <laughs> um, being like, ah, and habit stacking. Do your bad habit after you drink a glass of water. <laughs> Go binge watch Netflix after you wash the dishes. Even just recently, I was like, man, I want to eat a Pop-Tart at like 10 o'clock at night. And then I was like, well, let me clean the kitchen up first. I totally forgot about Pop-Tart. 
Um, and yeah, just this came up as one of you were talking, but one of my friends has this tattoo on his chest. It says, find what saves you. And to this day, he'll tell you, like, I don't know why I have that tattooed on my chest. But that has come to mind for me so many times. Nutrition is a big thing for me. That is what like has pulled me out of the hole several times. And it's not just for me, it's for other people because I know that we all deserve to live happy, healthy lives. Did you have another one that you wanted to add for the healthy habits? Oh, I'll piggyback off the last thing Sarah said, which was nutrition, because if you don't feel good, you're going to seek out other methods of feeling good. And, and ultimately that's going to lead you down the road to find something, you know, like alcohol or, or drug or something like that. So try to eat healthy. I'm not saying don't have that, you know, ice cream every now and then or whatever it is that, that you want, but make it, you know, make it moderate or add something in front of that. Like Sarah said, you know, if you're going to have a cookie, well, eat vegetables before that you know don't don't go have a cookies have a dozen baby carrots on one cookie and you'll be proud of yourself that's a great thing like that every little success builds up and then you end up in a better place a lot of us find guilt right so this is we're starting to see a lot i'm seeing a lot more connection between emotions and feelings and addiction in a way and the power we give things outside of ourselves so we're just talking about cookies here i'm not talking about anything heavy heavy duties um but this piece about food like become aware and track your relationship with what you are ingesting and become aware of the inner dialogue. For example, you eat that cookie, what are you telling yourself, right? Because we can eat the cookie and we can have an addiction to self-sabotage by making ourselves feel like shit because we made that choice, right? Uh, you know, or we get the choice of saying, look at me, I ate some carrots and now I get a cookie. I'm doing a good job today, right? So that these are all energetic. So the body is registering all of this as energy. And really, what are we feeding ourselves? What are we ingesting? How are we treating ourselves? Because really, on this thread of addiction, just to like insert my opinion in here, we can start by paying attention to the inner dialogue. What are we saying when we're doing and consuming these things? Every little bit of good makes such a difference. A sip of water, a breath before you do a thing. Add that one habit in with your not so good thing. And when that habit sticks, you add another and you add another and you add another. And there's just no room. And like we talked about earlier, when you feel good, there's no need to do these other things. So when you realize how much better you feel when you're drinking water, because there's a good chance you probably weren't drinking any water before, now you're drinking a glass of water um, or a few throughout the day. And you're like, dang, I feel hello. <laughs> and, um, or you're eating better. And on the topic of, you know, our mental health, 
so much 95% of our serotonin is made in our gut and so if we're healing ourselves from the inside then we're not depressed then we don't have a void to fill and just doing that inner work like journaling is such a powerful practice and i will say it can be triggering but jot down what you're doing throughout the day look at your trends you might very well feel like shit but um it's very eye-opening and then you can find where you can insert that little bit of good that little bit of self-love but i think especially in my own experience there has to be some little glimmer of hope or self-love or something telling you that a better life experience is possible and is available to you we all deserve to live joyful abundant loving amazing lives but we have to choose that and we have to believe it for ourselves and we have to choose actions in alignment with that um so it's definitely a test of our willpower we do have the freedom of choice that's the thing about this human experience and you can choose if you want to suffer or if you want to have a good time for however long you're here. But we are the sum of our actions and we have the choice every day, every moment to do something different. And you are strong, you are capable, you absolutely can do it, but you have to want it for you, not because someone else told you that you need to or you have to, you have to want it for you committing to these practices committing to loving yourself committing to nurturing yourself will help lead you on the path of recovery and health looking into yourself and realizing what you're doing making note of that which most of us need to write that down and i do recommend a journal and finding help and maintaining accountability with somebody and i would say with somebody who's been through your experience like a spouse or sibling may be great but if they haven't had you know and really hardcore addiction and that's what you're experiencing then go find a sponsor that has and you know pick up that phone before you pick up that bottle yes. pick up that phone before you pick up the needle you know pick up the phone before you snort that line and it may not be something as severe but it's still going to be damaging to you you know maybe you need to pick up the phone before you eat that whole cake i mean addiction comes in all forms all shapes and sizes we're not just talking you know uh, about the hardcore addictions we're talking about everyday stuff that gets overlooked because it's more acceptable and and so I, I just want to throw that out there. I think that every human being on the planet can benefit from a podcast like this and can benefit from really looking deep into their self and finding out what they're addicted to because everybody's addicted to something. It might be TV. You know, there's a lot of social media addiction problems too. And all of that is trying to fulfill that happiness getting that like on facebook you know 
get you know you get a dopamine hit right there and they keep adding up and adding up I would offer as well, you imagine going on a road trip, right? I'm sure most of us have been on road trips. What do you see on the highway, right? You see addiction everywhere. I mean, fast food, sugar, alcohol, cigarettes, vape shops, it's everywhere. They're, we're not marketed to health. Health is not marketed to us. And so just be really gentle with yourself as well because when you start pivoting towards the path of health this is rocky terrain that's why i use such a strong word like commitment because it requires dedication on your part and i think the really really big key here like tyler is saying is finding someone or a community who can support you on this path finding a coach you know actually you know if any of you need that advice i can just tell you right now in my own journey of healing and recovering people who do energy work and people who do body work have an innate spiritual connection and something that i wanted to bring up that was addressed earlier about depression i heard someone say once that depression is actually the spirit disconnected from the body so having a spiritual practice can also help you find that self-love i'm not saying you need to go to church or you do whatever you need to do but i think find out what spiritual means to you and look into all the different religions look into all the different body movement practices look into energy work find a, a massage therapist find a reiki practitioner start looking a little bit outside the norm you're gonna have to go looking in your community just type in healers you will be surprised at what pops up yeah there would be nothing to sell if we all realize that we have absolutely everything within us and in our control to live in a state of homeostasis and so why would we be fed through social media and the grocery stores etc why would they feed us things that are really going to benefit us because then no one's going to be buying cereal anymore because it's trash. <laughs> um, so yeah, look inward. And also on the topic of healers, healers have had to go through their own journey. And that's why we're healers. Because we had to work through our stuff. And we know that it was hard. And we know that people need support along the way and our story is going to impact someone else so don't be afraid to reach out be honest be transparent about your story and i promise you will attract the right people to help you along your own healing journey and we heal as you heal because as we're talking to you we're like oh that was advice i needed for myself good to know <laughs> We really hit on a lot of topics today. Um, so just know that you're not alone out there. You know, and that's kind of how I felt in my addiction that I was alone, you know, nobody cared. 
even though I had people bothering me about it. But that's just, that's how you, you know, you get to that point and you feel like, you know, everybody's given up on me. Nobody believes in me. And then sometimes you have that epiphany, like maybe I'm the one that doesn't believe in myself. Like maybe that's it. And that can hit you deep. And I just want everybody to think about that a little bit. Like maybe you have people that believe in you. I can tell you for a fact, you do have people that believe in you. You you have to go find the strength to seek them out. I mean, there's plenty of places, you know, um, AA, you know, there's NA, there's CA, there's Celebrate Recovery. And then, you know, there's people like us too. We always offer, you know, anybody has an issue or wants to contact us, feel free to email us or hit us up on social media. Like we're here for you. We'll, we'll help you out or we will guide you in the right direction. You know, if we think you need help elsewhere. I think I used to be turned off by the word coach. I didn't understand it. I'm like, I don't need someone coaching my life. And I realize that, you know, people who end up being life coaches or health coaches have had to coach themselves to where they are. And so my closed mindedness actually turned me into where I am now. And I'm a coach. And so also remember, like, coaches are really great. You know, we're, we're guides. And we understand and we can meet you with compassion. There's no judgment here. Look, I'm, all of us have addiction. My children are addicted to their little video games. They're addicted to that bus ride home when they can, like, get to that video game, like, you know, or eat that cereal in the morning. It's, it's innate in all of us. And so finding self-love, finding community, and, you know, choose the right path and not the left one over and over again. Do something different. Change your routine. Do something different. Yep. That's it. Get, yeah. Literally, I started getting up on the other side of my bed yep. after living in the same place, getting off the same side of my bed for three years. My my days have changed getting up on the left side of the bed. Right. <laughs> right. Intentionally go a different way to work. Start changing your own brain chemistry. Make different choices. Say yes instead of no. There's so many little practices. And if anyone listening has, you know, any questions, anything that you would like to us for to address, anything you need advice on, just please, please, please reach out to us. Sarah, can you tell us where people can find you? Yeah. Uh, right now, the best place to find me is on Instagram. It's bean.saradeen. Um, I'm kind of in a pivotal point right now. I teach yoga and I've focused a lot of energy on that. But I'm also starting a blog, Broke Bitch Wellness. And that is going to be lots of tools to help yourself when you don't have the resources, getting your finances in order, getting your health in order, mental health, all that good stuff. So you can find me on Instagram. There's a link in my bio that'll take you to my website, which is geared towards yoga. I also have lots of resources that I've personally used that have been a huge help to me along my journey. And there are lots of big, exciting things in the works. So follow me and stay tuned.
Thank you everyone for joining. If again, if anyone has any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. We will share Sarah's information with you and you can follow her on Instagram. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. We love you.